Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. So this week we're going to deviate a little bit from my sail through the Mediterranean this last summer, and we're going to take a trip with somebody else who sailed through the Mediterranean, Jake Miller, who is from Perth, and I read his letter in the last podcast. But before we do that, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. You know, I share a little bit about my personal life with you, and I'm going to tell you (laughs) last weekend... You know, I'm doing this addition on my summer home, and it's going to become our permanent home in in a, oh, maybe in a little less than a year. But I decided, because I've built houses before, both physically built them and contracted them out before, I decided I was going to uh, do the tile work myself. I mean, tile's not tough to do. So I got all the materials. I put in the subfloor, the uh, Ditra matting, and the then set below the Dietra matting in a couple, well, and I've got, well, two bathrooms, a utility room, and an entryway that I'm going to be putting in tile. And I thought, that's not very much, and I'm a, oh, it's okay for me to do something like that. That's not hard work. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, I did this work on uh, Saturday and Sunday, And only today do my legs feel like I can actually move around without being in abject pain. I'm just not able to kneel like I used to. I mean, it's not that hard of work, but I cannot kneel that long. I guess becoming old makes it harder for us to do that. But I've laid about about a third of the utility room, which is the largest room. And if it were up to me right now, I'd pay somebody to finish it. But I know no Tyler, no laborer, wants to come in and finish somebody else's job. So I'm going to have to finish that project off myself. And uh, I'm going to hire a professional to come in and do the rest of the tiling. But uh, I've, I've sort of decided that when I'm going to be working on projects, I'm going to work on projects that are at uh, benchtop level and avoid getting down on my knees and crawling around as much as possible. The inversion in Salt Lake is terrible this week. We got some initial snow. It was looking like it was going to be a good ski season up in the mountains this year, but we haven't had any new snow for quite a while. The The temperature has dropped, so the ski resorts are making snow, but I have not been skiing this year because I hear that there's not much open in the way of runs, uh, the various ski resorts. 
It's mostly man-made snow, and they're doing the best that they can with what they have. But uh, I'm spoiled, so I'll just wait for a, a new snowstorm to fall. And it's not predicted that we'll have really any snow for another week or two. The bad thing about living in Salt Lake is the winters, we get these terrible, terrible inversions. It's bad air, it's filthy air, and I feel my life slipping away from me with every breath I take of this nasty air down here. The good thing is I can head up to the summer home, which is about an hour out of Salt Lake, and be in crystal clear, crystal clear air and uh, a beautiful sky and clean air and just a great place to get out of the, uh, the inversion from. Or I could go skiing if the skiing was a little better, which is what I typically do in the winter. Before we get on to this episode, I want to encourage you to go into the iTunes directory or whatever directory you use to listen to podcasts on and write a positive review for this podcast. It's been a while since I've had anybody write a review, and I'd really appreciate it if you would do that. Also, if you like this podcast, if you want to support the podcast, there's two ways you can do that. Uh, number one is going in buy, and buying some of my digital products that I have for sale at the website medsailor.com. And the other is to support me on Patreon, patreon slash medsailor.com or patreon.medsailor.com. Either way, you can go to the website and there's a link that'll take you to Patreon if you want to support me on Patreon. And I have various uh, rewards for different levels of, uh, of sponsorship. And of course, like I said in the last podcast, Jake Miller is a $5 Patreon and he gets to suggest a story, and he's going to tell us his story, which sounds really interesting to me when I read his email. I thought, well, let's get you on and have you talk about your story. So with that out of the way, let's talk with Jake Miller. All right, I'm with Jake Miller, calling me from Perth on Skype. And Jake, you forwarded to me before we started... Uh, some information on the boat that you chartered, and also some latitude and longitude uh, uh, <laughs> information that I can paste into Google Earth, which I've never done before. It's in uh, the latitude and longitude is in digital format, which I've never pasted that in there before. So that's pretty cool. That's great. So, so tell it. Tell me. Okay, your 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 email to me was really enticing. So you uh, you you went through some midlife crisis situation, and and you wanted to chuck it all and go sail around the world, but your wife talked you out of it. So so go ahead and take it from there. All righty, yeah. So I started about well, eighteen months ago now. Um, I'd finished going back to study. I'd done my MBA while while working full time, um, and I finished. And I was so used to being a hundred percent busy all the time that I just didn't really know what to do. Um, so I started watching all of these. Uh, Years of people sailing around the world, um, and then I watched the Laura Decker documentary on the 13-year-old Danish girl who sailed all around the world. It really broke down a lot of the barriers in my head around how hard this actually was to do. So I thought, always dreamed of it, but then thought, oh, oh, it's definitely an achievable goal. Once I saw kind of how easy watching others, I should say, um, I then started building a bit of a plan to go out and do it. So I planned it all in my head and then broke the news to my wife and said, I want to sail around the world. Um, she quite rightfully told me I was an idiot because at that stage I'd never even hoisted up a mainsail. Um, but she did agree, though, to take about three months off 
and go sailing around the Mediterranean, the Med, um, test it out, see if we actually like the lifestyle, and then we could go from there. So that's where my journey started about 18 months ago. I set myself a, a date from that point of about 12 months on. So this was about July in 2016. And then we decided we're going to leave 1st of July 2017. So I gave myself a pretty aggressive deadline of, of 12 months to learn how to sail, um, of which then we're going to sail for about 2,000 nautical miles around the Med. Um, so that's where my story starts. Um, well, okay, so let me ask you, how did you get your, your sailing experience? Did you join a yacht crew or a racing crew or what did you do? Yeah, sure. So the first part was trying to work out where do I even begin. So I jumped onto all the um, different forums online and actually just asked the question on one, where do I start? Uh, most people said go down and join a racing crew. Um, with just time schedules and everything else, um, it was pretty hard to start that way. So what I did do is I, I got myself onto a beginner course where they teach you all the fundamentals, and that went over three weekends, um, Saturday and Sunday, all day, every day. Um, so that was a crewing and helming course, but it gave you no official qualification. So that gave me the basics. And then from there, I just went out and bought an old cheap yacht. So it cost me about $2,000 Australian. Um, it's about an 18-footer with a fixed keel. And from there, I thought, if I buy something old, it's going to break on me. I'm not going to worry about it, and I get the benefit of learning how to fix it as I go. Um, so before I even got it in the water, I managed to actually snap the mast. So it, I was off to shaky ground before I even began with that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, the story didn't start off too well. Um, then on our, my first time sailing, as soon as we pushed off from the docks, um, the accelerator cable on the engine snapped. So... From there, I had to. We, we went out and we did a lot of practicing on some of the boys of um, how to come into the docks with only just under sail power. So after that, we started to trust our sails a lot more than we actually trusted our engine. Um, so we kind of went through a lot of trials by fire, um, and we nicknamed our boat the the Red Foreman. If you've ever watched that 70s show, Red Foreman's the guy who's always calling his son a, a jackass because we always thought that our boat was calling us a jackass because we're constantly making mistakes. <laughs> now, I think, I think the third time we went out, I, um, I threw, we threw the anchor over and the rope actually got caught around the propeller and it was dragging and I was about to drag into about a $2 million yacht. Um, so I was in the water. I was trying to untie the anchor rope from around the propeller while dragging backwards in about 25 to 30 knots of wind. And this beautiful seal decided to come over and taunt me. And he was getting about 20 centimetres away from my dive mask as I was trying to untie it. And normally that would be a fantastic situation to have like a seal playing with you in the water. But when you're in a panic and, and rapidly trying to get your um, propeller free so you can get yourself out of danger, uh, it wasn't... It was being it was very frustrating to say the least. <laughs> now, are you sailing on the um, what is it the, the the that lake in Perth? Are you, uh, you uh, uh, the Black Swan River? And I guess there's a lake there as well. Or are you out on the, in the on the open ocean on the Indian Ocean? No, I was out on the open ocean. So you had some. Um, so you were bouncing around quite a bit then too. Then I assume. Yeah, so some of the days we went out, there was like a two or three meter swell. So on an 18 footer, um, you really feel every bump of that. But we really tried to pick our days to begin with. So I've quite surfed for about oh, 10 or 12 years now. So I'm pretty good at predicting the wind and knowing the weather in, in my local area. Um, but it was very different than opening that up and going into a sailboat. 
And I have had boats and jet skis and everything else for forever. Um, so I was quite familiar with the ocean, but just bringing in that new sailing element was something completely different. Um, and things like anchoring, I should have known better. Um, been doing that with boats all my life um, and, and the various other things. But yeah, it was still bringing in the, the sails and all the new terminology um, was quite a challenge. So in that learning, we, we did do the course. I watched every YouTube video I could out there on sailing. I actually downloaded your um, your course books as well, Franz, and listened to those about two or three times on repeat, um, and they were quite good. So the hardest part for me actually was by trying to teach myself a lot on the go without an experienced sailor there was actually just picking up the right terminology and wording. So at the start, we called everything a rope, um, which then got very confusing, and then we quickly understood while every rope has a name. So we banned the use of the word rope on the boat and then life became a lot easier. Yeah, there, um, there are no ropes on a boat. <laughs> no, no, I try and explain that to people now and they look at me like I'm a fool. Um, but there was a reason for it and we had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, so from there, it was just a lot of practice on our own boat, um, which just the two of us, because it was just going to be just my wife and I sailing. We thought that was going to be kind of the best way so that we could work efficiently as a team. Um, if we went out there and kind of learnt with a more experienced skipper on, say, a racing boat, um, we didn't really want the stress of racing thrown into it and we really wanted to be able to just work the two of us. So that's where we thought, well, buying a cheap old boat um, would be a good way to go. Um, and, yeah, that was, was fantastic. We made a lot of mistakes, but we, we learned a hell of a lot along the way. And every kind of mistake that we made was one that we didn't forget. So I'd rather, much rather cause an issue on a $2,000 boat than when they eventually gave us a $300,000 boat. <laughs> That's a, I always said the reason you want to start out by racing is exactly that. All the mistakes you made are at somebody else's expense. <laughs> <laughs> that's another way to look at it yeah um one of the other things i did do was i did actually join a, a sailing club and there was a, a gentleman nice enough in perth and he is quite quite wealthy and owns a few yachts and they're quite they're too big for him to sail on his own so he started his own sailing club which is just his yachts um and you pay a, a very small fee it's only about a hundred dollars to join the club for a year and then he goes out two or three times a week and you can go out with him. And he just started the, the club purely just to get crew um, and went out. And that, I learned a lot from going out with him as well, which was quite handy. Um, but that was much more of a relaxed cruising environment. Well, that's a good idea. And, you know, I think a lot of people as they get old, they want to keep going sailing, but they don't uh, they don't have the physical ability to do that. So it's uh, that's a great idea on his part. He gets uh, He gets crew, he gets to teach. But he doesn't have to to do all the the heavy lifting, so to speak. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. It was a very sociable club as well. So that was organised through the app Meetup, um, which is quite cool. Um, so we we did that, and then we organised to do before we were allowed to actually take a, a yacht and charter it. We had to have an official qualification. Um, so that we organised through Sunsail, um, and we looked into the cost of doing that around Australia, and it was just very price prohibitive so we decided to do it in greece and then we thought well this is one way that we can see the, the greek islands and do the course at the same time before we go pick up our yacht over in croatia so from there we organized our course through sunsail and we did the roia day skipper course um we 
got there on the first day. I hadn't done the theory component, but I'd been confirmed through email that even with my one year of experience, that was sufficient that I didn't have to do the theory component. Um, but then on day one of the course got told I wouldn't pass unless I have done the theory component. Um, and it wasn't just myself that got told that, but everyone else on the, my um, learning course had been told the exact same thing. So it was a bit of a letdown on day one, but start sale were good enough to actually find a way to work around it. And they tested us on the way through and tested us on the theory. And luckily enough that everyone was proficient enough to pass. So all that study I'd done over the last 12 months and also listening to your course notes, Fran. So I think they greatly helped there to get me across the line. Well, great. Thanks for that endorsement. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, from there we started off. um, So we flew over to Greece. Um, We picked up, we started the sailing course in Lefkada. Um, from there, there was about three yachts that we all went out together. And I reckon if I, if I just finished the, just after this week, I, w- I probably would have been perfectly happy that the sailing course was a lot of fun meeting a lot of like-minded people. Um, every night was a big party and, oh, it was just sublime. It really surpassed my expectations there. No endorsement to Sunsail, but that was just the the experience that we had. We had a fantastic instructor as well. His name was Brian. He was a old sailor from the south of England and a perfect gentleman. And I I really couldn't have asked for a better teacher. I learned a huge amount being able to be with him for about seven days in a row and ask every single question that I had. Um, He had an answer for me just off the straight straight off the top of his head, um, which was fantastic. So I can't say the same for the other two yachts that went out. The other people weren't as happy with their skippers, but Brian, if you're listening, you you definitely were a champion, mate. So thank you very much. Oh, great. So they've got a big base there, and I noticed you put on the the the, the uh, GPS mark. Was that where the boat was? You're pretty close to the clubhouse, it looks like. Yeah, we're right next to the clubhouse. I, I tried to actually drop the pins exactly on where I parked, okay. uh, just to just to make it easier. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we were right down down near the clubhouse, which also very close to all the bars so it was a very sketchy start on that first day because a lot of us went out to celebrate before we even began um and then we all kicked off from there so from there we it was a bit bit of a debriefing in the morning to explain what we're going to do and then it was hands-on and we started sailing um the course was all paper-based um all of my navigation and all the work that i'd been doing was all very much electronic um they really wanted to bring it back and make sure that if your electronics aren't working you still had that fundamental and you could use and i have to actually say that was the first part i was a bit challenging of that thinking everybody's got gps now what do you need to learn this for anymore it's a bit old and redundant but at the crucial time, I actually did need to resort back to those paper maps. So it, it was the right move. So I do recommend that other people that are starting off to, to learn the fundamentals, learn how to use the maps, you learn how to use your compasses and the like, because in critical times, your electronics will fail you, um, as I poorly found out. So from there, we, we, we kicked off from Left Carter and we sailed down to Porto Spilia, if I can pronounce that correctly, um, which is a beautiful little bay. Give you a second to bring that up, Franz. Yep, that's what I'm going to do here. Just a second. Puerto Spilia, huh? Okay. Let's see if I've been there. So this is on the island of Meganese. Oh, okay. Yep, I've been there. I've been there, yeah. Yeah, it's a little place, and you walk way up the side hill to get to the little town at the top there. Okay, go ahead. 
Yeah, so that was a beautiful place. That was our first place coming in. Um, very wide, very open. So it's a good place for new yachtsmen to practice their reversing and um, tying up against the marina and doing all the things right. And for us being a new team on a new yacht, practicing those skills as well. Um, and I remember very clearly remember the owner of this little place because when I was paying my bill at the end of the day, he was very insistent that I was Greek. Um, and I was quite clearly trying to tell him I wasn't Greek. I've come from a lot of mixed heritages, but none of them are Greek. And he told me, he goes, you know your mother, but you don't know your father. Your real father, he's Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to laugh or feel terribly insulted, but I went with a laughing. I think it was a very happy atmosphere there. Um, but they, it's one of those places where you go and see the menu and there's no prices on the menu and I'm pretty sure they just make it up as they go along at the end depending on the size of your yacht. Um, <laughs> luckily for us, we had a small yacht. So. <laughs> <laughs> those sort of places drive me crazy. I like to know what I'm going to be get billed at the end of the night. But <laughs> Some people do, it doesn't bother them, but it does me. So, yeah, anyway. I'm 100% the same. So, yeah, as we're going through the course, the, the way it kind of kicked off is in the morning, we'd start off around 8, 9 a.m. We'd do some sailing practices and some drills up until about lunchtime. You'd find a nice little anchorage somewhere and stop and have lunch, go for a swim, and then in the afternoon you'd do some more drills, then generally come into another marina and practice your skills within the marina. So try to find out where actually where did, where did I go next. Um I'm just going to close the app now for a second um, and bring up the list that I sent you so that way I can actually check where Cal I've been as well. Calamos is what you've got here. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, so from there we sailed around to Calamos. Um, okay. Nice now little that, marina. Yep, nice marina. I'm not sure I've been there. I, I, don't, I know I've been around that island, but I'm not sure I've been into that particular marina. So continue on. Yeah, so it was... Have very, very full of charter yachts when we went in there. They were tying us up about two and three deep against the side wall. So every time you wanted to get off your boat, you had to crawl across two or three other yachts to, to get in. Um, it wasn't a huge amount to see and do there, but we weren't there for very long. But we did go down to George's, which is just down at the very southern end of the marina. It's a nice little restaurant, and you sit actually down on the beach. And we had a few... <laughs> cocktails and wines before kicking off the next day and it was very pleasant um and i remember just as we we're sailing out from there um it might have just been further south just off castos off the island there we, um there was a hundreds of big stingrays that were coming up and out the water um and flying around which is nothing i'd ever seen before and it was the most sea life i think i saw in the entire time when i was in the mediterranean which was beautiful to see so from Columbus, when we went out, we actually went around the Castos Island just south of it um, until we circled all the way over to Savolta, which is back on Lefkada and in the very south end there, um, which is a quite a big little town. Um, lots of taverns, lots of bars and a lot of fun. Um, so we stayed at Savolta for the night. I'm saying the name, Savolta. Mm -hmm. um, and then from Savolta... We sailed up into a quite a big bay up near Calathea. I think I've put it down as. Um, and in Calathea, we only stayed there for the morning because that's where we had to do our, our night sailing practice. So we had to do 
about a 30 nautical mile trek at night. We weren't allowed to use any navigation equipment whatsoever. Uh, well, not any whatsoever. You just weren't allowed to use any electronic navigation, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so at night it was quite misty as well. You, could, you didn't have a, a long distance you could see maybe for some of the nautical lights that should have had a range of say five nautical miles we could only see them to about two nautical miles um so we had to go out and do quite a big loop so it was mainly using trying to read the depths and such to work out where you were and then triangulate yourself off the lights at night time so we managed to do that and that was a lot of fun very exciting for the group um and then we came back that night i think we finished about three four a.m um, back into the same bay where we anchored up and then had a few gins to celebrate. So you went back to Levkus, is that what you're saying? Um, no, it was down back into that same bay in Calathea. Okay, all right. So we started off there and that's where we headed out. And a few other things we had to do is like there's the, the Scorpios Island just to the mm-hmm. right yep. of Calathea. Yep, that's um, Onassis' so, uh, island, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had to sail in between the two islands there, which at night time without any navigation lights in there was a bit of a challenge and we couldn't see it. Um, and But luckily enough, he was rich enough to put a helicopter pad on the top of his island. So that little red light was our, <laughs> our saving beacon, uh, which we, was the only thing we could see so, when we were out there. But. So I went and tried to sail between those islands, Scorpios, and that little island to the north of that this last summer when I was going through there. And uh, there must have been a big wig in there because they, uh, they had security all around that and they would not allow you to sail between the two islands from one side to the other. They had buoys yeah. across there and they had uh, a security guard that jumped in a boat and came out when I started trying to get in there. And he said, no, you can't come through here. You can't come through here. There's a big yacht tied up in there. So I don't know what was going on. So. Yeah, so we were told it was owned by a billionaire, and yeah, we saw the same, um, those security boats, they're very daunting as they're flying around, um, but they seemed to leave us alone, which was nice, so it would have been pretty hard for us that if they came out flying at night time when we weren't 100% sure where we were, won't <laughs> tell Brian that, he, he thinks we were doing fantastic, um, but yeah, if we had to reroute our course around the island, I'm sure we probably wouldn't have made it back to the bay, um, so we, we got lucky there. Creep through at about 3 a.m. in the morning. I think you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so from there we went back up to the left carter, and that was, that was the end of the course. There was um, a lot of celebrations afterwards. Everyone passed, which was fantastic. And from there we took the ferry across over to Barry in the south of Italy. So we did some driving around it, the south of Italy. Um, so now where did you we, leave? Where did the ferry leave from? Was it from Previsa or where did the, where did the ferry leave from in Greece? Was it uh, Corfu, Previsa? Where is that ferry take or Patra? Um, another one again. And I, it's cool. just to the right of, just the, yeah, the right side of Corfu to the east. Um, there's a town called, Ah, yeah, I know where you're talking about now. Yeah. Igumenitsa. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we left through there, then you went through. I did stop in Corfu to pick up some more passengers before heading up. Um, and I think there was probably about 10 of us on the entire ferry, probably about 50 crew. Um, I can't understand why they run these boats, but I'm sure it might be more busier at other times. So, yeah, that was an overnight ferry um, over to Barry. Then we drove down. We drove down as far as Reggio Calabria. Uh, stopping at all the little towns along the way and then all the way back up again to Naples before flying across to Split. 
um, and then stayed in split for the night and then headed up to Recognia, um to where we picked up our boat. So this is where it started getting exciting for us. So, okay. So now you've you've passed the course, and you've, you're on a brand new, <laughs> a brand new yacht on your own. So <laughs> this is getting exciting. Then were you nervous? Oh, hugely. Um, so at first, when I was looking at charter yachts, I had a, a pretty tight budget. I wanted to keep it close to about about 100 US a day um, just to keep budgets down. So a lot of the boats that were coming up in this price range were about 15 years old. Um, I was emailing a lot of different charter companies trying to find a good price and, and bartering with them. And then one of the companies came back and I was looking for close to like a, a 35 to 40 foot boat. And they said, oh, we have one at 34. And they made it sound like it was terrible. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, send me through the details. And it was a brand new boat. I think it had been chartered once for two weeks. Um, and I was shocked at the price they came back with, it just being just over 100 euro. And the way it was set up, normally a lot of the charter boats are set up for three or four cabins. This was only set up for two cabins, so it was a bit more spacious. It was only going to be my wife. So this ticked all of our boxes and was fantastic. Um, so at first I, did, I didn't really believe it, but I very quickly paid my deposit to lock it in. Um, and then we had to go from there. So it was contingent on me passing the sailing course. So I was probably not more nervous about making sure I passed the course. Otherwise I wasn't allowed to take the yacht, which was only a week in between. Um, but luckily enough, that all came together. Uh, we stayed in Recognia for a, a couple of nights to provision and just get a lay of the land and get all the paperwork done. Uh, it was my first introduction into the challenges of Croatian bureaucracy. Um, so I think it took me about 18 attempts to pay the deposit for the yacht. Um, I got told the internet was down for the entire country in one of the attempts, which was was just ludicrous, but we got there in the end. Um, and then we had to, had, had to head out. So the first time pulling out from the marina, it was very daunting. It became very real very quickly. Um, but luckily, if you look at where Marina Frappa is in Rakovsnia, it's a very sheltered marina. Um, and as you pull out, it's there was, there was no wind. It was just under engine power. So we'll, I was feeling confident, and we said we were only going to do a very small sail the first time um, just to, to get ourselves used to it. And that's where we went up to Grabastica um, into the inlet there. Um, but we didn't actually stay at Grabastica. We stayed just up a little bit further. There's actually a wall. Um, it's called the Wall of Ostrica, um, and it's a nice little bay. So we pulled in there. We were the only only yacht in there. That was our first time anchoring, just the two of us. It took us about six or seven goes to get the anchor to grab. Um, and this is, this is fantastic. You jump off the back of the boat. There's this medieval wall, which coming from Australia, where nothing's actually more than like 100 or 200 years old, to see anything medieval is just mind-blowing. Um, yet, let alone being able to have that right at the back of your boat, have nobody around. I think there was even wild deer walking around on the shore of the beach there. So that kind of set the scene and what my expectations were going to be like for the rest of the trip. Every day we pull up, I'm sure that I was going to see some type of medieval walls and castles and wild deer roaming around. I think there was even actually a naked supermodel on one of the beaches doing a photo shoot. So it was <laughs> that was also another introduction into Croatian sailing. So... Now, was yeah, that, was that looks like that was an open anchorage then. You just dropped your anchor and, and stayed there for the night? Yeah, so the wind was coming from a northerly on okay. that side, so uh -huh. we were perfectly protected in where we were. Um, but it is, it is quite open, but 
yeah, depending on which way the wind was coming. There was a lot of people actually anchored on the other side, so we walked across the point and did some hiking around there. Um, and it is quite a little sheltered in bay and it's very shallow, so it's quite hard to find shallow anchorages in Croatia. Um, but in there is actually quite a good one. Ooh, okay. um, so from there, we, we headed out. Uh, we went out to Caprigi, um, probably not pronouncing that correctly, but I'll give my best go, K-A-P-R-I-J-E. And we tied up to a mooring buoy for a couple of nights there. So first big storm was coming in, so we wanted it to be kind of tucked away. I think we got up to about 35 knot winds, which wasn't too bad, but it's pretty good to be a lot worse. Uh, and we rode that out and it was our first introduction to one of the little towns and the islands and how it all works. I think I spent my first half an hour trying to find a harbour master to pay and everyone looking at me like I was, I was a fool. Um, gave up and went back to my boat and then... A few hours later, the harbour master came out on his boat, very relaxed, and then we talked about it, and then we agreed on a price, and we went from there. Um, but I was trying to do the right thing and make sure I paid up front, not realising that you just it's much more relaxed in the sailing world, which I found out as we went. So uh, that was a town harbour. So that so did you anchor there or did you tie up there? No, we are at a mooring buoy in there. Okay. It was a big, big field of mooring buoys, um, and we went right to the north or as far east as you can so as deep into the harbour as mm -hmm. possible mm -hmm. um, and that was because there was a very strong wind coming in from the southeast so we wanted to be as close into land there as possible so we wouldn't get any swell or chop coming through okay um, so yeah the wind came through for a couple of days um, and then from there we headed out to the Cornady Islands so did you um, did you how much did you end up paying? Do you, do you recall how much it was to anchor in or to take the mooring buoy up? Um, yes. Yeah, so my wife was extremely diligent and took notes on everything that everything cost as we went. And I remember as I was one of your keen listeners, this was one of the parts I was always trying to hear out for. Um, so our yacht was 35 foot. Most of these places charged by the foot. And it would have only been about... 15 euro from memory okay. um trying to flicking through my pages now trying to find the right one but um yeah it was very very cheap to stay in there on the mooring boy okay okay and the next anchorage you went to is just out in the little islands then huh yeah so the cornady islands are a national park and i'd heard a lot about them it was meant to be beautiful snorkeling me and my wife we love diving so we thought we'd go out there and be able to see some beautiful fish now did you uh, did much... you get a permit to go out there or did you just go? Yes, we did. Okay. No, no. And before we even got out there, we actually got stopped and checked for that permit. Uh, so we bought a, a three-day permit, and it was around $200. So it wasn't quite cheap as well. So we were planning to anchor and, and stay in amongst the islands um, where we'd planned out our different stops of where we could try and stay. There isn't a – it's very, very deep water. Um, even 50 metres off land, the water is already 50 metres deep. So there isn't a lot of anchorages. The few anchorages we did find were quite affected by swell, so they weren't pleasant to be staying in. And there was just a lot of other yachts in this location. Um, it wasn't, wasn't nearly what we expected. And the islands themselves, you can, if you look at them on Google Maps, you'll see that they're very grey and dry, and that's because this is one of the areas the Bora wind comes through and just rips out any signs of life uh, through the winter months. So... It wasn't a, a huge amount to see and do. Um, I was quite surprised. This was, from from everything that I'd read to where I saw it, uh, it, was, it was a little bit of a disappointment, I have to say. Um, a lot of people rave on about this spot, and 
I, I really don't understand why. So now, um, now let me ask you, how did you buy your permit? Because I've, I've looked at the pilot when I've gone up there, 777 pilot, and it says it's a marine reserve and uh, gives a phone number to go and buy it. But how, how did you get your permit? Where did you go? How did you do it? I just jumped on their website. So okay, so that's what you did. All right. Yeah, so they have their websites. Um, the other way you can do it is you can buy it if the boat comes out to you. Um, the marine rangers, I guess you could say, you could, you can buy it directly off them. I saw one of the other yachts doing that, and I also saw them turn two other charter yachts away and send them home because they refused to buy the permit. Okay, okay. Now I've sailed up through there, but I've never stopped in the Coronati Islands, uh, just because I never had a permit for it. But, but I think you can pass through, but you can't anchor at the islands if you want to anchor at the islands. At least that's what I did, and I wasn't stopped. So. No, yeah, I believe you are allowed to pass through. The only times, like, we, we did actually get stopped as we were sailing out there and, and asked to check, and they were asking if we were stopping there, though, which we were. So I, I do imagine that if you were just passing through, it would be okay. It is a beautiful place to sail through because it's so protected, and you get a nice wind coming from the westerly side. Um, you can pass through the islands. It's, it's very smooth within, within them, but... Yeah, it wasn't a lot to see and do. I was going out there because I thought there'd be a lot of fish to, to see, and there was none. <laughs> um, so so from there, we went a lot further north, and this is where I did get stung, is I thought I was still within the Cornady Islands, but as you get to the next island, which is Dugiotok, um, D-U-G-I-O-T-O-K, um, it actually becomes another national park, and that's the Teleskia National Park. So we anchored up in a beautiful little bay there. It was only us and a big 60-metre super yacht. Um, so we anchored up at the end of the bay, and then we went hiking through there. And then we moved again and moved over closer to – there's a big freshwater bay. Um, well, it's actually not fresh. It's a salt bay, um, Jezero Mia. Um, and there's all beautiful cliffs that run along there and more hiking. So we went up to that part next and then the ranger came out and then we had to pay another $200 um, for staying in the park for three days. So we got stung probably $400 Whoa. in park fees for staying in these two parks for three nights all up, um, which wasn't wasn't great. So we started, <laughs> like I said before, I, when I, I, was, I was just getting introduced to Croatian bureaucracy when I was taking out the boat and got stung for sailing taxes and all the rest. And then, yeah, now, now as we were staying in different spots, these new fees were just magically appearing, um, of which I, I challenged quite harshly and then would go Google and check before any money was handed over. And sure enough, they were legitimate and the people were legitimate, but it was a bit of a nasty surprise that you, you pay a sailing tax just to be out there each day um, in the Croatian waters, and then you got to pay again when you stop in different spots, and then you got to pay again if you actually want to tie up to their mooring boys. So it's a massive tourism area, and as you can expect, um, everyone's trying to make their buck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what bothers me a lot about Croatia is every time you turn around, their their hands out. Um, you don't see the same thing in Greece. It's, it's just not the same thing in Greece or Turkey. But in Croatia, it's it's an expensive area to sail. So no, yeah, we definitely found that. Um, one of the when I was started doing my research, I've heard that things were very cheap. Um, but once I started actually going around, the food was 
very expensive. Um, it was pretty rare that we could go out and get a, a decent dinner for the two of us and it, it come, say, under 50 or 60 euro. Um, it, was, it was very pricey to be eating there, and we weren't eating at very flash places. So instead we would go to the big shopping centres, stock up, and we did majority of our cooking on the yacht. And I dare say that my wife is, is a better cook than 90% of the restaurants we went to anyway. So it was by far the better option. Yeah, I didn't find the food to be that great, quite honestly. I mean, every time I ate, I thought, eh, okay, nothing exceptional. Not, not like Italy. Everywhere I went in Italy, it was great food. But I didn't find the same thing in Croatia. Uh, so I talked to Jack Andrews before I went, which he was a, a wealth of information as well. So. Thank you very much, Jack. I, I really can't thank you enough for all the help you gave me there. Um, and one of Jack's sayings that he told to me is, if you could take the food from Italy and stick it into the sailing in Croatia, you'd have the perfect destination. Um, <laughs> and that ran through my head probably every other day. <laughs> he, he was on the money with that. So, yeah, from there we went from the national parks and then we hooked over to Zadar. Um, lucky for us, our boat was just short enough to be able to duck between the islands that work as a big barrier um, so we could just cut straight across into Zadar. And then we pulled into the main Zadar marina, which was my, the first time just the two of us um, going into a, a marina and having to med more our way in. Um, and in hindsight, not the best marina to start with. If you have a look at it on Google Maps, it is a very, very tight marina where yeah, you have less than tight. a... Yeah, I'm looking at it right a, now, and it's, you don't have much room to even turn around. You can, you can barely make the turn out of that, that uh, fairway, it looks like. That's right. <laughs> so you have less than a boat length between the bow of your boat and the bow of the boat that you're looking at on the other side, right. um, which I found out the hard way. So... I managed to get in nicely. Uh, coming out for the first time, though, we had a very str- so I had a very strong breeze at my stern, and as soon as I started pulling out, it pushed me straight to the other side, and I got caught in the bow lines of all the other yachts on the other uh, the other side of the pen from me. Um, so we were getting rushed from the marina. They weren't happy with the spot we were in, and they wanted to put a bigger yacht in our spot, so they were moving us to the other end and. We had to move quickly and there was no time for a plan and it's this was a big learning curve for me around who to listen to, take things at my own speed and definitely make sure that you have a plan and that all your crew know the plan before you even kick off. So yeah, as soon as we pushed off, we got pushed into the ropes on the other side and these boats were all brand new. They even they still had the plastic on them and they were big 45, 50 foot yachts that were very expensive and now the port side of my boat was drifting into their bows and all their anchors were going to look like it was going to do a lot of damage to me. So my wife was doing a fantastic job of fending us off so we didn't actually touch any fiberglass to fiberglass. Um, and I was getting a really long rope that I was throwing off the back of our boat. So being a smaller boat, we don't have a bow thruster. And with the wind pushing us sideways and being caught in the ropes, we really couldn't, we couldn't go forward, we couldn't go backwards. The only way out was to go sideways. And we'll throw in a really long stern line over to the people on the docks that could pull us back. Um, I threw this rope to them four times, of which they just threw it back to me and laughed. And it, it was incredibly frustrating. And there was language barrier. And I'm saying, grab this rope, pull me sideways, trying to use hand actions. And they're picking up the rope, laughing, and then throwing it back to me. Mm. <laughs> 
and we're, we're going to explain the frustration at that point. Um, and as we're yelling and screaming, trying not to make sure that we damage these other beautiful yachts, that it, it was very, very tense situation. Um, one of the dock boys then jumped on one of the front of the other boats and, and dropped the bow line off and said, now, now drive forward, drive forward, you're, you're, you're loose. Um, as soon as I drive forward, I wasn't actually uh, loose at all. And then because the bow line was on the, the bulb of my keel, it then pulled the front of that boat to its port side, which pulled the hit the next boat next to it, which hit the next boat next to it, and it looked like a, a row of dominoes. Um, luckily, though, they were all perfectly fended off on their side, so there wasn't a scratch to any of them. But my heart was beating at about a million miles of now because I was thinking this is my first marina. I've probably done hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. Um, and I think the only damage that was done was a scratch to the end of one of their anchors, um, of which then the marina there was trying to tell me I should pay for for scratching an anchor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was a bit of an argument ensue after that, um, and then it really soured our, our, our view of, of Zadar, but it's a beautiful town, Zadar. I think it's one, one of the top tourist cities, um, and you can see why. When you go over to that main town centre, um, there was so much happening. There were so many people, beautiful places to um, eat and things to see. Uh, it was. We, we stayed there for three or four days in the see, end. See, and I've never been there. I've been up and down three times, and I've never stopped at Zadar. I've always been farther out on the islands. So you're making it sound like I should check it out next summer. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was one of our favorite places in Croatia that we stayed at. The marina, not so much. There are a couple of bigger marinas that have been built now. I'd definitely look to stay into those. They have a lot more space and easier to maneuver around. Um, but I wouldn't be staying in that same marina again. Um, just the way that they handled the situation was, was very frustrating. Um, so from there, once we left Sadar, we went up towards the Molat Islands. I believe so. Could be right. Could be wrong. Yep. So up, up to Molat, and this is where we're back on the anchor. So at this stage, we, we had a schedule where we had to meet some friends in Venice. Um, we gave ourselves three weeks to go from Rokogsnia, where we started, to get to Venice, and we that's were well ahead of schedule at this time. I was I was going to say that's pushing it. I go slower than you do. Okay. <laughs> Well, our goal was to do about 20 nautical miles a day on okay. average. Um, and I think for the first three weeks, we averaged maybe 10. So, yeah, around the Mola Islands, they, they were very they're very pretty. This is back to, again, what I started to expect Croatia to be, these lovely little villages and anchorages that you could pull up. At these points, we weren't getting charged because we were actually anchoring. Um and after getting charged so much, being in Zadar and the last few islands, my wife and I were playing a game to see how long we could go without actually spending any money. So I think we got about three days um, before. So, so before I'm looking we had, at had... I'm looking at this base, Soroka Bay, on uh, on whatever island this is. I've stayed there. Did you go down and look at the bottom in that bay? Uh, let me bring that up. So this is on yeah, Molat. Soroka, yeah, on Molat. Yes, yeah, so a lot of the bays that I did stay in here used to be old mooring fields, I found. Um, so you had to be very careful where you were dropping your anchor. So I'd, I'd dive down and look at the anchor in every situation. Um, but where we – and you'd surprise yourself how many times you'd find big mooring blocks down there. And if I did find one and it had a decent enough holding, I'd prefer just to tie up and yeah. I'd take one of our mooring lines down and tie up to 
Yeah, well, I stayed there. I stayed there one one night. I was, this is when I was by myself, and and I went down and looked at it, and that is pure rock on the bottom. You better grab a mooring buoy because there's nothing for your <laughs> anchor to dig in on that bay. Because I I tried setting my anchor, and all it did is like a like sliding across an ice rink. It would not set anywhere. So yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've anchored in there. I still wouldn't anchored because I didn't want to pay the money for the mooring buoy because they had a <laughs> bunch of mooring buoys in here. I still anchored, but knowing that if there was any wind at all, I was going to be blown out of there. So, And fortunately, that <laughs> night I stayed there. There was no wind at all. and It was a neat little town to walk around, though. I like that little town. So, No, it definitely is. Um, and this part of sailing probably for the next week was probably my favorite sailing throughout the entire trip. Um our original plan was get up early in the morning, do our sailing, get to a place around lunchtime when everybody else was heading off and then explore the town in the afternoon and then get up reasonably early in the morning and do that again. That way we're kind of guaranteed to get a good spot as everybody else is leaving. Um, what we didn't realise though was there's a reason that everyone parties late into the night and then starts sailing in the afternoon. It's because the wind doesn't come in until the afternoon. So we did a lot of our sailing in less than 10 knots of wind yeah but, um, but, but you're but, working your way north and the prevailing winds are from the north so you want to get up early and get going north don't you uh yes um so majority of the time the wind was coming from a, a northwesterly mm-hmm. so we could generally stay on a nice tack going up upwind um, okay. it wasn't too we, we weren't having to tack left and right um to, to get going it was we could generally hold a course reasonably well so where we did, but you were always beating into the wind. And if you did have a high enough wind, I'm sure it would have been very uncomfortable. So in a 10 knot wind, if you're beating into the wind, you're doing, you're going very slow. We were probably only doing four, three to four knots. Our boat was not a quick boat. It was set up for a self-tacking jib. So the jib was a lot smaller than you stand. Jibs so that the sail power was low, um, which was good when you had a big gust or anything blow up. So you didn't have to worry too much about, having to start reefing sails but it on the other front i was always every other boat out in the water was always passing me and i'm a pretty competitive person so to have all the other boats going past (laughs) even though we're cruising uh it it ripped a small hole in the bottom of my heart (laughs) (laughs) so i haven't been to olib what 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 was that little town like was that a nice spot to stop at yeah we loved olib actually there's a nice little bar on the beach um you have to be a bit cautious of the ferry that comes in and out there. It does cause large waves. And this is another spot where the ground is extremely rocky, but there are old mooring boys down or the old blocks down the bottom that we used to tie up. So we tied up just north of where the big jetty there is. Um, and this is a, a really nice little village where families all come to. You're not allowed to have any cars driving around. So the ferry dock is covered in everybody's cars. So they bring their cars to the island, they leave them on the dock and then don't use, the, use them again so you're not allowed to drive on the island. Everyone's moving around on four-wheel motorbikes and scooters. Um, majority of people just riding around on bikes. And it was really, really pleasant. It was a great family atmosphere, um, little kids running around. At this stage of the trip as well, all the fresh fruit was starting to come up on all the trees and there was just a lot of wild fruit trees around. So we were picking our own figs and wild berries and stuff as we were going. So... Yeah, we loved it. Um, it was one of one of my favourites. Um, and then from there, we only moved across to Silba, which was just, I think we must have stayed at Silba the previous night, which I could have missed off my list. Um, yeah, just the, the island just straight across, yeah. 
yeah, so we stayed in the bay just off there as well. So we, some some days we were only doing like small hops and mm-hmm. staying a day a day between and, and just practicing our sailing. Um, from there, we went north and we went up to Mali Okay, Mali. I always say Mali Losenjabe. Losenjabe. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we end up staying, um, especially on the way back. We end up staying on this island for probably about seven or eight days in in the harbour there. So on the way back, on the way up, we had beautiful weather. It was sunny every day. Uh, in the morning, we probably had less than 10 knots, and in the afternoon, it would creep up between, say, 12 to 17 knots of wind, but it was never never getting too high. Um, but on the way home, as we followed back our route coming the same way, the wind was either at 35 knots or zero. Um, there's another saying that I remember hearing from Jack that he didn't sail around Croatia, he motored. Um, and <laughs> we definitely motored our way home. There was... It was, it was one or the other. Um, but on the way up, this was some of our finest sailing up through these islands. It, we tried to stay. A few of the anchorages we pulled into were, were heavily rocky, so we had to try and pick our spots. And it was also really coming into peak time for charter yachts as well. So if you got into a spot late, a lot of the harbours and spots around these areas were just completely full. So I remember going into the strait at Olovic, and there is... I think I counted there's enough room for about 150 yachts there and there was not one spot that we could stop at. Every single spot was gone. Um, so we ended up going a little bit further north and going up onto the island of Mali the Singe and pulling into one of the little bays. Mm-hmm. And I pulled this... into that bay. Was it crowded when you pulled in there? Yeah, there was probably about 30 or 40 other yachts yeah, in there. Yeah. Everyone was side to side. Uh-huh. And this was our first attempt at long lining as well, which we hadn't done before. So by this stage, we'd been just the two of us out there for a couple of weeks. We'd Communication was a lot better than when we first started. I think I read a book on how to be a better captain um, and in terms of your communication. So I think a lot of the training, communication is really underestimated, and especially when you're working as a, a husband and wife team. The, you'll probably be a lot more forthcoming with how to tell each other how to do things than you would if it was, say, a friend. <laughs> All right, Jake. That's probably the most poli- <laughs> Yeah, mate. Okay, Jake. So th- we've got about um, about an hour right now with my introduction okay. and stuff. So I'm going to um, stop the recording now, and then I'm, we're going to continue talking, and we'll do that, the second portion, as a, as a second podcast. So okay. thanks for joining me, and we will continue talking in a second here. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to support the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com. That's franz, F-R-A-N-Z, the number one at medsailor.com. And if you want to learn to sail, I can't teach you how to sail, but I can teach you some of the terms, terminology, and what you need to learn in order to pass the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104 through my audio courses which are available on the website, and also you can find them in Amazon and on iTunes. Get out there and go sailing. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.